Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, December 8th, 2023. Well, the gloves are off. The gloves are off against Judeo-Christian Americans. The deep state, the power structure, the globalists, they've been boxed in a corner, and now they're coming out swinging. And they've been exposed in the process. This administrative state, this deep state, these globalists, they've got to wreck the Judeo-Christian culture. They're out right now just, yep, that's what we are. They've been exposed. And I want to go to a, a couple of clips. But before we go to these clips, this hatred that they have also exposes their political strategy. And here's their strategy right now, and this can change. They're going to go after Jews. They're going to go after Christians. They're going to go after Donald Trump as being an authoritarian And they're going to reinforce their position that we need this huge administrative state to protect democracy. And they're going back on history just to go after the Jews. Because historically, it's been easy to go after the Jews. You've had the Jewish diaspora. More recently, we've had the Nazi treatment of Jewish people culminating in the Holocaust. Also during the period of World War II, no one wanted to take Jewish refugees from Germany. Even in the United States, FDR did not want to take a boatload of Jewish refugees from Germany, claiming they were a security risk. And today we see it with these anti-Semitic protests throughout the country, as well as the bullying that's going on against Jewish people in our universities. And we've got reports of Jewish people being denied access to bathrooms in cafes in California because they complained of anti-Semitic graffiti in the bathroom. So there's always been an underlying theme of anti-Semitism throughout history. And these deep staters are glomming onto this because it meets their political purpose. And this has been playing out for years and years and years in our higher education system. And quite frankly, I still find it shocking that anti-Semitism is still alive today, prevalent, and it's in our higher education system. And all they've been teaching is that society is nothing more than the oppressor and the oppressed. And they, quite frankly, they, they've, they've, they've morphed the hatred for Jews into them being the oppressor. But it helps them politically right now. Whereas we know that history tells us that it's been the people of Israel that have been oppressed throughout history. But it's still this underlying anti-Semitism that this evilness that have taken over our education system. And they're using it now for political purposes. So with that said, I want to go to a clip if it's with, and a lot of you may have already seen it. And it has to do with a hearing where three presidents of Harvard, UPenn, and MIT, they testified before Congress this week. It's with uh, Elise Stefanik, and she's quizzing these people. And she's exposing these people for what they are. And it's so ironic that, and it, well, it's a little long clip, it's about two minutes, but there's a lot in it. So let's go to the clip. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, Does that constitute bullying or harassment? 
If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes speech becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual. Targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. So the answer is yes that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Now, I just want to clarify something. You're not going to hear during the campaign, the Democrats come out and say, oh, we hate Jewish people. But here's where they get cute. These Ivy League schools, other schools of higher education, they're pipelines for the deep state. The administrative state actively recruits at Harvard, MIT, Penn. And this mindset has infiltrated Washington's bureaucracy. And this is what the Democratic Party is trying to protect. So they get cute here. They're not going to be overt about it but they're going to pump their students, their anti-Semitic students, into the deep state. And here's the other thing, too. There's been a lot of blowback on this. And, here's, and this is what you get when you listen to these college leaders. This is what you get when it's not about qualifications, it's about an ideology. Imagine if somebody on campus at UPenn said, let's eliminate all black people. Well, that student wouldn't last. The administration would come down hard on them, but they look the other way when it's about Jewish people. And let me read an article here. It's taken from the uh, New York Post. It says here, billionaire hedge fund manager Bill Ackman has accused Harvard of hiring President Claudine Gay, who's African-American, solely because of its diversity, equity, and inclusion initiative, instead of identifying the best leaders for our prestigious universities. 
The 57-year-old, who has made a name for himself by publicly announcing that he would refuse to hire students who express anti-Israel views, made the claim as he blasted gay, as well as the presidents of the University of Pennsylvania and MIT, for refusing to condemn calls for genocide on their campuses at a congressional hearing. Ackman says, I learned from someone with first-person knowledge of the Harvard president's search that the committee would not consider a candidate who did not meet the DEI office's criteria, Ackman wrote, of the university president, who was black. The same was likely true for the other elite universities doing searches at the same time, creating an even more limited universe of DEI-eligible presidential candidates. He says shrinking the pool of candidates based on a required race, gender, or sexual orientation criteria is not the right approach to identifying the best leaders for our most prestigious universities, Ackman argued. And it is also not good for those awarded the office of president who find themselves in a role that they likely would not have obtained were it not for a fat finger on the scale. Now let me take you to another article. And this is from the Post, New York Post. It says here, hedge fund titan pushes to claw back 100 million UPenn gift as pressure mounts to dump Liz McGill over anti-Semitism response. A Wall Street tycoon on Thursday vowed to claw back a $100 million donation to the University of Pennsylvania if the Ivy League school doesn't boot UPenn president Liz McGill following her disastrous congressional testimony that failed to condemn rampant anti-Semitism on campus. Ross Stevens, the boss of Stone Ridge Asset Management, joined a growing chorus of high-powered donors outraged over the hearing. The hedge fund titan said he has clear grounds to rescind his donation in a letter his attorneys sent to the school. So the interesting thing about Ackman, he's already come out and said, hey, look, I'm not going to hire anybody with these kind of values at my firm. And our expectation as Americans is we should not hire people like that for our bureaucracy. And as I said before, this is what the Democrat Party is trying to protect, the deep state, the pipeline between the Ivy League schools and the deep state. Now, with that said, I want to pivot to Christianity and how they will attack Christianity over the next year going into the election. Now, many of you have heard, and James Carville, the former strategist for Bill Clinton, he's now rearing his head right now. And he was on Bill Maher's show last week or two weeks ago. And he had said that Christians, he likes to call them Christian nationalists, are a bigger threat to the United States than Al-Qaeda. And this is going to be part of their strategy going into next November. They're going to call you theocrats. They were going to call Christians anti-democratic, all because we want to elect people with Judeo-Christian values. So I want to take us to a couple of clips with James Carville. Now, what always struck me about his appearance is he looks like an alien. He's bald-headed, overly high cheekbones, wide, big eyes. He looks like an alien, but he's a good strategist. So I'm going to play a few clips from a lecture series that he has put out, I guess, for students in college or Democrat strategists. And it's really insightful and how he views the American Christian. And he's talking about Mike Johnson, the new speaker. And he's giving information on what motivates Mike Johnson, where he comes from. 
and he can't help but talk about Christianity and Mike Johnson's belief. So let's go to this clip. And for many Christians, it's probably going to be a little offensive, but I'm sure we've heard worse. So let's go to the clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. There are two things that, if you took Mike Johnson's totally core beliefs, easy in the top five, or two things. One is young earthism. Right? Young earthism says the theory of evolution is crazy, and the earth is 6,000 years old, and men walk with dinosaurs, and God breathed life into man, and Adam came from... I don't know, Eve came from Adam's rib or something like that. I can't, it, it's too insane to even think of. Sometimes you, you, you look at a politician or you look at Kevin McCarthy and say, that guy's pliable, it's just like a bowl of jello. Or McConnell, he'll do anything he can to stay in power. When you look at these Christian nationalists and you look at Mike Johnson, or you look at people I talked about, Woody Jenkins, Tony Perkins, the, the influences in his life, you have to understand something. These people are committed. They believe this shit. They believe it in their bones. And what they'll do, if you meet them, they're very polite, but they want, they want a theocracy. So as a good strategist, Carville's trying to define his opponent, and he's doing it early now. He's calling you a theocrat, and he's trying to equate Christian nationalism, which they define, but don't let them define you. They want to tell you that you're a theocrat because you want Christians elected into office. Well, what's wrong with that? But remember, they're trying to define you as a theocrat. They're trying to put you on par with the mullahs that run Iran, only a different religion. Hey, all I want is to elect people that have Judeo-Christian values. Don't call me a theocrat. You're the theocrat because your religion is big secular government. But expect this. Don't listen to people that call you a theocrat. They don't even know what the meaning is. They don't even know what the meaning Christian national is. is. All they want you to think is that if you vote for a Christian, you're a nationalist. You're a theocrat. Tell them to go pound sand when they tell you that. So we shall see. And a third piece of their strategy right now is to make Donald Trump out to be an authoritarian. See, it all merges together for their strategy. We're theocrats that want to elect an autocrat. And this is being coordinated by the mainstream media. There was an article that came out by Robert Kagan. He wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post where he called Trump a dictator. If we elect Donald Trump, we're going to have a dictator. And his rationale was very weak. Essentially, what he said is that Trump is going to go after the deep state, the bureaucratic state in Washington. And Kagan's rationale is that, well, we need the bureaucratic state to keep the president in check. Well, I don't see anything in the Constitution that says that the bureaucratic state keeps the president in check. That's supposed to be Congress as well as the Supreme Court. But this is their strategy. If they say it enough, they think people are going to believe it. Trump is so funny. And I'm going to play a clip by Trump. And it has to do with the uh, Hannity interview earlier this week. And let me just play it, and then we'll come back and discuss. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, I love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border, and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. Okay? 
and the mainstream media was going apoplectic. You see, he said he's going to be a dictator. What they don't tell you is that what Trump wants to do on day one has nothing to do with being a dictator. He can do that by executive order. But that's not what the mainstream media wants you to believe. They want you to be, believe a bunch of theocrats want to elect an autocrat. So we shall see. And this is how the military-industrial complex works. So we all know that $60 billion in additional funding for Ukraine is being held up in Congress. So Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary, has a meeting with members of Congress. And Tucker Carlson reported that the Biden administration is openly threatening Americans over Ukraine. In a classified briefing in the House yesterday, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin informed members that if they don't appropriate more money for Zelensky, we'll send your kids, your uncles, cousins, and sons to fight Russia. Pay the oligarchs or we'll kill your kids, Tucker says. Now, the assumption here is that, and, and this is the spin, the spin here is that, oh, if we let Russia win or have any kind of win, Russia's going to attack other NATO countries, which is totally absurd. Think about this. How is Russia, who's winning in Ukraine, they've got 20% of the country. How are they going to take on NATO when they attacked Ukraine and only took 20% of the country? So they're going to be able to take on the forces of NATO, while to date they only have taken 20% of Ukraine. That just doesn't make sense. But that's what the military-industrial complex wants you to believe. And the other thing they handed out, apparently there was a memo being passed around to all of the congressional members who had defense contractors in their state. And I'm sure the memo was put together by a combination of defense contractor lobbyists, as well as political insiders, as well as staff. Well, they sent this memo out to members of Congress who had contractors in their state. They said, this is what you're going to lose. You've got all this business for your state, and we're going to let everybody know. That's how they work. So speaking of Zelensky, he's not having such a good time right now internally and let me go to uh let me go to an article here and this is from the post and the headline says Zelensky turning ukraine into an authoritarian state just like russia says kiev mayor in a shocking interview ukrainian president Zelensky is becoming an autocrat who is reshaping ukraine into an authoritarian state no different from russia said kiev mayor vitaly klitschko this guy was a heck of a boxer you ever get a chance to go back on old clips of him boxing? He was a heck of a boxer. Klitschko, a former heavyweight boxing champion turned politician, took the unprecedented step of publicly attacking Zelensky, an ex-comedian and actor, so vehemently for the first time since Russia's invasion 21 months ago. While the pair have been political foes, such a blistering public condemnation is still shocking to many, given the country's war crisis. At some point, we will be no longer any different from Russia, where everything depends on the whim of one man, Klitschko said in an interview with the German news outlet Der Spiegel. Now, you have to remember what Zelensky has done. He's banned elections. He's banned opposition parties. He's banned the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. The counteroffensive hasn't worked. And all he's been doing is solidifying his own power. And people want to talk about Trump being an authoritarian. The actions of Zelensky right now mimic an authoritarian. So Hunter Biden was indicted in California this week for not paying over a million dollars in taxes. And he faces nine charges 
including three felonies, faces a maximum penalty of 17 years in prison if convicted on all counts. And what a debauched person this is. He was charging off hookers to his business account, which turns into a tax write-off, among other things. But as I said in my previous episodes, watch what happens to Hunter Biden as an indication of where the deep state is with Joe Biden. And right now, it's not looking too good for Joe Biden, because this is a serious tell on where they stand. Now, what I think is Joe Biden's going to go through the entire primary process, and then he's going to drop out. Right before they hit the convention, he's going to announce that he's not going to run again. I'm sure he'll pardon Hunter, and then he'll just move on, because politically, this is going to damage him in any general election against Donald Trump, and it severely weakens him. Now, isn't it funny that all it took was one judge to question that sweetheart deal that they were going to give him months ago? And that's where the dominoes collapsed. But that's all it takes. Just one judge saying, what is this? Now, in a related story, the House is putting together a resolution to formalize the impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. Now, the House had started the inquiry, but they never formalized it. And Apparently, there's a resolution being put together, and I think it's supposed to be put together next Wednesday and placed before the House to have a formal impeachment inquiry on Joe Biden. And the next step would be the actual impeachment. Now, from what I hear is that this formal impeachment will take place sometime in March or April of 2024. So we shall see. And Kevin McCarthy, the former Speaker of the House, I think the shortest tenure of any speaker, announced that he's leaving Congress. Not only is he leaving Congress, he's leaving in the middle of his term. I think he's leaving December 31st. Now, there were also rumors that behind the scenes, McCarthy orchestrated the expulsion of George Santos from Congress. And the loss of Santos and McCarthy severely hurts the Republicans when trying to put together legislation because they've got a, a slim majority in the first place. And this just weakens that majority. And this tells me that McCarthy is nothing more than just what we knew he was, a rhino, all about himself, nothing about the party, all about retribution. And I can say good riddance to him. We gave him the benefit of the doubt, but he just showed his true colors. But this does hurt the Republicans' ability to pass legislation. And McCarthy says he's going on to to do other things to help the United States. And we know what that is. He's probably going to take some kind of lobbyist job, make a ton of money, use the connections he made to better himself but not necessarily better the country. And this is the problem that we've had over the past 30 or 40 years. It's all about the people we put in Washington, not about helping the country. It's about helping themselves. And this is nothing more than just a spiteful act by McCarthy to leave and hurt the existing structure in Congress. So all I can say to Kevin McCarthy is good riddance. You met our expectations. And here's another example of what a a weak U.S. president does to the world. Now, Venezuela is in the process of annexing an oil-rich section of its neighboring Guyana. And they had a vote, I think, last Sunday. And it was overwhelming support to annex that portion of Guyana. This is Venezuela, communist Venezuela, where the Biden regime cut a deal to buy oil from. Where the Biden regime removed economic sanctions, making the country wealthier. And this affects Brazil also. Brazil is putting a number of troops on their border with Guyana in order to protect their country. And again, this is just another example of why you need strong leadership in the White House. At this point, we don't know if Guyana is going to fight to protect that area, 
We don't know what involvement Brazil is going to take in this. The U.S. has come out and said they're going to support Guyana. But what does that mean? What does that mean from an inept administration? But one thing I do know, none of this would happen with Donald Trump in office. And with that said, thank you very much for listening. You have a good week, and I will talk to you next Saturday.